Amen. If you have your Bibles, open to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. So we begin a new sermon series today called Living in Between. This is the first uh, Sunday that we will um, enter into this series and then we'll continue through each Sunday through Christmas. And this is the actual uh, second sermon series that we've done together. Uh, and by together, I mean all of our campuses. For those of you that are not familiar with Lindsay Lane, we have a campus in uh, the northern part of the county in Elkmont, the north campus, and then our east campus is in Harvest, just across the county line on the east side. And so all three campuses uh, throughout the month of December will be going through this sermon series called Living in Between. We've done this uh, once before in August uh, through Bring It In, and the focus being on unity of the body. And uh, and this uh, this focus of this sermon series Will, will be the waiting and waiting on waiting on God. And so uh, this is the Advent season. If you're like me, uh, I needed a refresher on Advent leading into this sermon series and something I remember as a child uh, observing. And then through the years, um, it's something I know was touched on. And so we're going to focus on uh, the Advent and the coming of Christ, the anticipation of the church during this season. If you think about it, if the faithful of the Old Testament were always looking forward, they were looking forward to the arrival of the coming one that was endorsed of God, that would be the Lord, that would be the king, a son that would be given, the government would rest on his shoulders, everlasting father, mighty God, prince of peace, wonderful counselor, all in Isaiah chapter 9. This is the one that they were waiting on until the arrival of Christ. And that night in Bethlehem, the waiting was over. Amen. They would have to wait no longer for the Christ child arrived in the world for the world and for the glory of God. And now in the, in the New Testament era, the church age, we look forward to the return of Christ as we are working together, not sitting on our hands, but we are working while we are waiting for the return of Christ, for the full culmination glory of God. This is the second advent. The coming of Christ is not something weird and religious that we talk about. It's something that's found in the scriptures and based on the promises of God. That while, and we'll look at the scripture later, but whether or not we are, are uh, have passed away or if we're still alive and Christ comes back, but for those who are in Christ, he's going to come and get us. Amen. That is the principal truth of the scripture. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28 says, So also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again. Not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly are waiting for him. So this is the series about waiting, about living with expectation, expectation of God's promises, expectation of the fulfillment of God's promises. You think about in December, already we have, have kids that have circled one calendar date of the year. They've been waiting for months for the 25th of December to arrive. They live with great expectation of that day. I was, in fact, I was talking with somebody in the foyer that said, you know, the, even greater than the day that is the 25th is the day that the Sears catalog came along, right? The, the, some of you are, the, the older generations, I remember the Sears catalog. Uh, now it's, the, I think, the Amazon magazine, right? And everything is just by the swipe of a finger now. But, but they have with this, this in their mind a date on the calendar they look forward to with this expectation it often can change things. Sometimes it can change even the, the the smallest bit, but it can change the behavior of a child. Thank God. Amen. 
And so this, they're looking forward to this, to this day. Even, even the secular Christmas things that we enjoy provides an excellent backdrop to, to illustrate the kind of expectations that we have as believers that we are waiting for that day. That day when, when Christ makes all things right. Where, where he takes back fully the world that belongs to him anyway. Where we realize fully our salvation, the goodness of God. We experience the, the actual presence of God in eternity. So now through Sunday before Christmas, we'll place this emphasis on the coming of Christ and the expectation of the church. But to go along with that, each Sunday we'll, we'll recognize this symbolically through the lighting of a candle. But you've got to be careful with this lighting of a candle. Sometimes it can go wrong. I want you to check out this video for you. We'll be glad to. Let's bow our hearts for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the... Oh God, because joy has come into the world. Thank you, Lord, for the joy that the Savior brought there's so many things I love about this video, right? The pastor is unfazed. Something just, he's like, well, just keep praying, right? Just pray through it. The guy on, the guy that bless his heart, that's setting up the, the candle, he obviously, as he's walking, did y'all see that as he's walking off? He looks at, it's obviously his wife. He's like, I'm sorry. I knocked it over, right? <laughs> he walks away defeated. Man, that's just funny. It's good to laugh, amen? So this is the only candles we have. That's it. We're going to light these five throughout the Advent season. And each of these candles represents a theme of the Bible, represents the gifts that God gives, and uh, will represent the, the anticipation as we are leading towards the last candle that represents Christ as we lead up to Christmas. And today, the, the theme and the gift that we'll focus on will be hope. Let me pray for us once more, and then we're going to dive right into Matthew chapter 1. Lord, thank you again just for... Just for us being here today, God, we, we don't want to take that for granted. Lord, we know of, of the situation that we're all in, that we, what we live within right now. God, we're, we're grateful to be here and be together. And uh, Lord, I, I just pray for, for those churches that are not able to do that. And pray for us, God, for our own endurance as we go through this season. Lord, I, I just pray that you would continue to protect us. But Lord, we also pray that you would use us for your glory. God, that we would not stop, for you are always working. And, uh, Lord, I just pray you show us how. Give us wisdom. And, uh, Lord, help us to be considerate of one another. And uh, we just rely on you for everything that we do. God, please take us through this, uh, this time in your word. We need to hear from you, Lord. We need more of you. I pray, oh God, that you would disciple us, that you would challenge us, change us. Lord, I, I pray that you would convict us if we need it. Lord, if there is one or many in here that need to, uh, to be right with you, God, I pray that today is the day. Pray, O oh Lord, we'd all take next steps of obedience to get closer to you, Lord, as we rely upon your spirit to guide us. Lord, lead us through this time in your word. We do pray, O oh Lord, for those who are grieving this morning. Lord, I'm reminded of that today. There are many that are enduring this season as they've lost people they love very dearly. And we just pray, O oh God, that you would comfort them as only you can. Lord, that you would wrap your arms of purpose and peace around them. And, Lord, that you would take them through this time. Again, God, we are thankful for the living hope that we have in you. And pray that you would make that plain today. In Jesus' name, amen. I began reading my Bible for myself as a teenager. I was uh, in a student ministry, 
And uh, I was discipled in that youth group. In fact, uh, I, I do believe that discipleship can happen in, in one-on-one, and I think that's definitely one part of it. But I also believe that discipleship can happen in a group, and, and I'd like to invite you to a group. We have many of them here at Lindsay Lane, and many of them are meeting now, and you can find that information readily available on the website. Uh, but discipleship can happen in a group. It happened in my life. Uh, the student pastor that was leading our, our student ministry, we had a student ministry of about 12 at the time, and uh, every Wednesday night we met, and he taught us the basics every Wednesday night, taught us the foundations uh, of what it means to be a Christian. We were taught that uh, in our church growing up. It was supplemented in our, our home, led it, and it was supplemented by our church. But our, our youth pastor taught us to, to read the Scripture for ourselves. And so as a teenager, I, at night before I went to bed, I would get my Bible out, and I just started reading. You know, for those of you that, that would make the, the comment, you know, I just don't know how to read the Bible I don't know if I read the Bible, if it'll be plain to me, some parts I can't understand. Listen, if God's Spirit's in you, the role of the Holy Spirit of God is to guide you into all truth. Trust God and open your Bible and read it. Amen? Let, let God speak to you and, and show you how He can teach you without you having to be learned. Amen? You don't need a degree to understand the Bible. You've got to have the Holy Spirit of God. And God's Spirit will guide you through the Word, and He will grow you up and train you and teach you what He values and God began to do that in my life as a teenager. But the truth is, in my immaturity as a teenager, I often would open the Bible to places like Matthew chapter 1. I would see that the first 15 to 16 verses are a genealogy report. And sometimes in my immaturity, I would just skip right on over those and get to verse 16. Well, today, it, it, you're going to have to hang on because we're going to explain why verses 1 through 16 matters and matters a lot. So this is a discipleship kind of message and I'm, I'm praying truly that you take notes, you stay awake, you stay engaged, because this is a real important part of Scripture. Now, that being said, I would advise you, if you're a new Christian and you're wanting to start reading your Bible, I would not start in Matthew. That's just me being practical. I'll just tell you the truth. Unless you're sitting beside a disciple of Christ that can walk you through it, I wouldn't start in Matthew. I'd start in John, I'd start in Luke, start in Mark, start in the Gospels. You can read James, you can read a proverb a day. Whatever, But the reason why I say that is because you do need to know the background of this to really be faithful to this text. So that does not, it's not counter to what I've just said about trusting the Spirit of God. You open your Bible, God will guide you through the Spirit, guide you through it just like He did with me. But if you're, practically speaking, going to start in one place in the Scriptures, I would start in the Gospel, sure. But I would dive deep into Matthew chapter 1 to understand why it is what looks like a report from Ancestry.com, okay? So, so as, as we're looking at that, um, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 says, This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. We're going to read that one verse, going to read it many times, and explain to you why it's important. Ronald Reagan was given the most credit for saying, Trust but verify. Trust but verify. Anyone that claims to be the Son of God needs to have a verification of that claim. Amen? Anyone, for anyone that would claim that anyone is the Son of God, they need some backing to that claim. So the, to the defense, to the apologetic side that we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the one chosen of God to be the everything for all people, to the defense of our belief, Jesus is the Son of God. We have His miracle-filled life, the things that He did on earth that nobody else could do. We, we have his perfect life, that he lived a perfect life that only God could live. He died a sacrificial death. That, that death was counted before God to meet the righteous standards of God because he was the perfect God-man to take that upon himself. 
We, we know and believe the powerful and proven resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of these things were recorded, but not just recorded. They were witnessed by more than many. We have the Holy Spirit of God that lives within us to, to convict us of the righteousness of God and of our own sin that is proof that God lives and that Jesus is the way to God. But we also have passages in Scripture like Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 is the lineage of Jesus. And what it proves is, is helpful to us to know that Jesus is the chosen one of God to be everything that we need. This passage of Scripture is, is so important that one theologian said, in many respects, this passage is the most important document in the Scriptures. The Bible, the entire Bible rests upon its accuracy. In Matthew chapter 1, again, verse 1, as we just read before, let's read it again. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. Now what follows is going to be that report as we start with Abraham the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah. No, I'm not going to do that for the next 13, 14 verses. But you get all the way to verse 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called, capital M, the Messiah. Now, out of all the honorees listed in verses 2 through 16, Matthew in verse 1 highlights two names, David and Abraham. David and Abraham. Now, if you're in a Jewish audience and you are reading this, hearing this for the first time, you're going to alert when you hear those two names. Because it's through those two names that God has made promises that the chosen one is coming. That his blessing, his answer is coming. So let's start with Abraham. Not long after the world began, in the book of Genesis, we find a pattern developing. Sin enters the human race. The people sin. They experience the consequences of that sin. And then God makes a way for them. Thank God Almighty. Amen. We, we too have been a part of that pattern. That, that we, we, are, we recognize that we are sinners. We're prone to wander. We sin. God makes a way for us. This happens Repetitively, this is a, a pattern that's developed. They experience the consequences of sin. God makes a way for them. Well, in Genesis chapter 12, God is going to put together an action plan to solve all these problems and to ease everybody's pain so that people will be not be overcome by sin, but that God would overwhelm their sin with an answer and God would make a way for people to not only have a right and real relationship with God, but that God would give them meaning of life. He would give them purpose for their life. He would position them. He would provide for them as their God. They could know God and God would know them. For his glory and for their good, it was God's desire to bless the nation. Now, God, and by the way, with that being said, if that is what God is working on and has been working on throughout history, that's what we need to be interested in. If this is what God's desire is, it is to bless the world, to provide and to protect and purpose the world with relationship with him and he to them, this is what we need to be every day interested in because this is what God is doing. And God would begin this plan through the call of one man and through the creation of one people group. That one man was Abraham. That people group is Israel. Through Abraham, through the descendants of the nation of Israel... He would give the greatest gift the world would ever need through the ultimate life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's mentioned down the family line in verse 16. The family line of Abraham. 
This was God's plan to right the wrong that all went wrong through the fall of man. And this plan would not happen because God said it to be so. This plan would not happen outside of Abraham and Israel. Therefore, the Messiah must be in that line. Now, let's go to David. Once God called Abraham... And once God called Israel to be a people for himself, and he would, be, they would, be, he would bless them and take care of them, be their God, and they and through them he would be a blessing to the world. Once he called his covenant people, another pattern began to develop. God's people, Israel, would fall into sin and apathy. God would raise up a leader to develop them or to deliver them, and the people would acknowledge God. But that didn't happen one time, it happened a lot. God's people would fall into sin and apathy again, God would raise up a leader to deliver them. The people would acknowledge God. It was a roller coaster. I'm telling you, the Old Testament will make you feel better about yourself. <laughs> okay? I had a guy call me last week, and, and he was just telling me about some of the struggles he was having as a pastor. And I'm thinking, man, you don't, need to, you don't need to call me. I've been in this thing for like five minutes, right? So we're talking together, and he's just sharing about some struggles he's having. And I was like, man, I really think you need to read the Old Testament. And he said, why? I said, you read the Old Testament about the unfaithfulness of people and the faithfulness of God. It'll make you feel a whole lot better about yourself. Now, that's not a license to tell you that it's okay to be unfaithful, but it's an encouragement because even in our unfaithfulness, God is faithful. And that's what the Scripture says. And I'm thankful for it because if you mess up one time, you're not just out. And he's got every right to do that to us. But in his faithfulness, he continues to give grace and his mercies are new every morning. And I'm thankful for that. And this is what we see here in the Old Testament. He asked me specifically, he said, well, which part of the Old Testament I need to read? I said, just read all of it. I think you'll get it, right? Without the history of Israel, God would allow these judges, he would allow these kings to rule over Israel, to rule over the people group that he was going to bless the world through. But it was never supposed to get to that point. God was never supposed to raise up a judge or a king because the people were just supposed to love God enough to follow him alone. But God turned them over to themselves. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 7 and 9, the people asked God for, for a king and, and went through Samuel to do so. And, and God said, do everything they say to you. The Lord replied, for it's me they're rejecting. They're not rejecting you, Samuel. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. Y'all, when we hear those words from that scripture, there ought to be a little bit of fear and trembling in that. Like, like if, if, if you get to this point in your life where I've tried all this Christianity stuff and I have a hard time submitting even to the holiness of God, I'm going to try something else. Well, be real careful of that because God may toss you the keys. He may let you drive it. See how far you can get with that. Because he is to be Savior and Lord, even upside your feelings, to be Savior and Lord. Saul became king. God gave them over to themselves. Here's a king. Israel quickly realizes why God had warned them about that in the first place. Because he goes rogue. But God, in all of his faithfulness, once again, made a way for his people. And he raises up a man after God's own heart. Now, David wasn't perfect, but he was a man that honored God. And God anointed David as king and because of his promise to bless Israel and to use Israel to bless the world, God made a covenant with David. The Davidic covenant. You're starting to see why Abraham and David are mentioned in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 1. 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 12. God says to David, speaking to David, and when God speaks to a king, he speaks to everybody in that nation. 
For when you are buried with your ancestors, David, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. Now, when you read that, you may think he must be talking about Solomon. Solomon went ahead to try to build the temple, and Solomon was his offspring. Well, if you read it that way, the last I checked, Solomon was dead. So it's not a king forever. And truly, if you read in the Bible and you're seeking to learn more about Solomon, at the end of Solomon's life, you really start going, I don't know if he made it in or not. Because he got so wayward and was involved in so many different things. So no, the ultimate fulfillment of a kingdom forever under God was not through Solomon. It is through Jesus. The, the one who can put forever by his name as he got up from the grave. This is the ultimate fulfillment. This is why Jesus is called the one, the Messiah. So now we see why this, this record of ancestry in one verse at the beginning of the New Testament is so important. Because it is confirming the promises of God that through Abraham and the covenant God made with him, through David and the covenant that God made with him, God would send a deliverer to the world for the world, and his name is Jesus. Jesus being in the line of Abraham places Christ in the nation. Jesus being in the line of David places Christ on the throne. The scripture says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. For anybody else to claim that they are the Messiah, that they are the way to God, according to God's word, they're going to have to be in the line of those promises. If they're not in the line of Abraham or David, they're not in the line at all. Jesus is the Messiah, as it mentions in chapter 1, verse 1. As it mentions in verse 16, Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. You know, what's interesting, the enemies of Jesus, they tried every which way in the world to convict Jesus of doing wrong. Tried to catch him in wrong, tried to use everything that they could, but they never brought up his genealogy. Did you notice that? And the reason why is because it checked out every time. His genealogy checked out. This is why Jesus told them in John chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus was saying, I'm not trying to pull one over on y'all. I'm one of you. But in fact, I'm your shepherd as I am the one sent of God to fulfill all of these promises. Jesus was not a, a stranger to Israel. He was there to, to preserve the word of God, to be their shepherd. So to both Israel and the world, the message is still this. Don't miss him. That's still the message. Don't miss him. He is the one. He is the one that all of the Old Testament faithful were waiting on. He is the one when we are convicted of sin and God's righteousness and there's this gap. Jesus is the one in which we can be made right with God. He is the one. Don't miss him. Amen. Jesus said in John chapter 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only one that has paid the price for your sin by his blood. He's the only one that has got up from the grave to give us hope of eternal life. He's the only one. Before, before ministry, I was in, in uh, teaching and coaching for a little bit, a short stint, and uh, it was basketball season. I was an assistant uh, basketball coach at a local school, 
and uh, and it was we had just played a game, and as an assistant coach, assistant coaches have the great responsibility of washing uniforms after the game because you got to play again very soon after that. And so, so one night it was it was like on a Friday night, almost everybody had left. I washed uniforms. I'm putting them back in there, getting all that straight. And then I get in my truck and I'm about to leave. And it's in it's in the winter time, so it's really cold. And it's I mean it's bitter cold this night. Crank my truck up. I'm about to leave. And there's no one else there, but I look over, and underneath the kind of emergency lights of the gym are two young guys, and they're in my class. Both of them are in my class, and they're, they're standing there basically freezing and waiting. And I roll down the window. I said, hey, guys. I said, what are y'all doing? I said, we're just trying to get home. I said, was y'all's ride coming? No, sir. Oh, okay. Now, you would think at that time, now, when I asked them, too, I said, well, do y'all have a ride coming? Have you contacted anybody? No, sir. Now, you would think at that time that I would, I would just be filled with compassion, right? <laughs> like, I would just be like, well, bless y'all's heart. Let's get y'all in here and get y'all a hot cup of hot chocolate. No, you know what I said? I said, why did y'all come? Why are y'all here? You don't have a ride home. Why did you not get a ride home? Why are you here, right? And, and I knew them enough to have this relationship and kind of talk with them because I had them every day in class, and I expected this, to be quite honest. But I said, why are, y'all, why are y'all standing here? I said, have you called anybody? No, sir. You haven't. Would y'all like to call somebody? Yeah, we can. <laughs> great. It's a great idea. So uh, do you have a phone? No, sir. Well, okay. So give them my phone. They make the call, and nobody answers. Y'all, this is the kind of kids we're trying to help for Christmas for kids right here. This is the kind of kids we're trying to help. Not all of them, not the same situation for everybody, but for some of them, they need help. Amen? Now, my, my heart grew to compassion at this point. And I'm talking with them. I said, all right. I said, well, y'all get in the truck. I said, I'll take you home. Now, this is at Tanner. We lived in West Limestone at the time, and, and it, I, I knew what was going to happen as soon as I got it out of my mouth. If you're local, you'll understand. I said, where do y'all live? Because I was hoping Tanner Hill. You know what they said? Bell Mina. I was like, Gosh. Which, Belmont and West Limestone are like driving from, uh, from Alabama to Florida, basically. <laughs> so seriously, I, I said, and that's when I, was, that's when I was like, get in the truck. You know, like. <laughs> but listen, the reason I tell you all that, my message to them is the same message I'm giving to you. Your way home, the only way is in front of you. Get in the truck. Get in the truck. You can stand around. Now, remember, their first, their first answer to me in their pride was, no, we're good. No, you're not. You're going to stand here and freeze. Or you'll just hope that something happens. You can make a way for yourself. You can try that. But it's still not the safe way home and not the only way home. Get in the truck. Some of us hear this every Sunday. Some of us have family members and friends, and this is the message and the message we know that they need. This is it. This is the way that God has made. You may think to yourself, well, I I think God would make multiple ways. That would be confusing. This is the only way walking it. Amen? This is the way, the Word of God. In order, according to the Scripture, 
if we are, are to get to the Father, we cannot get to the Father except through Him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's confirmed by the miraculous life, the sacrificial death, the power of the resurrection, and the lineage of Christ through Abraham, through David. He is the way. The only way. And so this, this, is, not, this is not waiting... Christianity is not waiting for the return of Christ and waiting on the fulfillment of salvation without a base. Our our waiting is based on the object of our faith, the solid rock. Our waiting is, is based on the promises of God, the character of God. It's based on the fulfilled promises of God. So we're not just going, well, I sure hope things work out. No, no, no. They're going to work out because God said it would work this way. This is based on the word of God. That does not fade away. That stands forever. And so, in Matthew chapter 1, through Abraham, through David, Jesus is the Messiah. This is the title that is given to Jesus throughout the Scripture in the New Testament. You'll see that for sure. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, verse 16, both use this title for the chosen one, the anointed one of God. Now, at the close of the Old Testament, Israel was not all huddled together waiting to hear from this. At the close of the Old Testament, most of the Israelites were still in exile. They had been scattered because of their sin and the consequences of their sin. They were promised land. That was part of the blessing. But because of their sin and unfaithfulness, they were scattered. Multiple empires had had, had come in and elbowed them out, moved them around. But now... They are making their way back to their homeland. But they're still not there. They are away from the temple. They're not able to worship together. They can't make sacrifices as was outlined in the Old Testament. They can't do it. So they're waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled. But when Jesus got on the scene, the wait was over. Do you hear me? The wait for all of the answers that matter are over. That's over with. Our waiting now is for the one who is Savior to come on back. That's what we're waiting for. You don't have to wait any longer for truth in your life. You don't have to wait any longer for direction, for answers, for forgiveness. The problem of sin now and forever has been answered. The way to a right relationship with God, to really know God and know that you know God. All of that has been answered and addressed. The purpose of life, the meaning of life. The standard of life, now and forever addressed. We don't have to look on the TV screen and wonder if something's right or wrong. We can go to the Word of God and the person of Jesus Christ to know the truth about what's right and what's wrong. That's all been answered. We're not waiting on that anymore. Jesus has these multiple titles in Scripture. But every time you see Christ, you can know and recognize the definition In theology, which is the anointed one who was the anticipated redeemer and ruler in the Old Testament. But you can also see this title of Jesus Christ and know he's the one that the Old Testament was waiting on and the one we need to seek right now. He's the one. In Christ, there is forgiveness of sins. Thank God. There is forgiveness of sins, church. We can be right with God and forgiven all the mess we've done. All the bad things we've done, all the bad things we've looked at, all the bad things we've said, all the bad things we've thought of. Before God, we can be forgiven of sin because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. And that's good news. Is that not good news? 
That's what you get in Christ. And he's the only one you get it in. In Christ, there is promise of eternal life. And that eternal life is not based on a religious hope. It's based on the power of God. The spirit power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the God I'm betting on. The one that got up from the grave. That's why I know I'm getting into. This is what you get in Christ. In Christ, there is purpose for living in the here and now. See, we ask all these questions about what am I going to be when I grow up? What am I going to do with my life? What, what are we going to do? All these questions. There's a bigger question. Jesus gives the meaning of life. He's the reason we should get up in the morning and like it. Because God's given us a purpose that is bigger than anything the world or we can create within ourselves. His glory and what he's doing in the world. That is what we are supposed to be a part of. That's what we're supposed to be when we grow up. That's the answer to that question. He's our hope. He, and hope changes everything. Living hope. A hope with a basis changes everything. Our little family, we, we haven't taken many overnight trips, just us together. Seriously, since we've been a family, we... We haven't done that a lot. In fact, every, every like, you know, vacation, every time we're uh, doing different things, usually it's with other people, with other families. And so just a, a short time ago, this, the beginning of this week, in fact, uh, our, our family, just the four of us, we went on an overnight trip. And we planned it and prepared it and scheduled it, and, and we, we went out of town and enjoyed it. But it wasn't just like we woke up that day and we went on the trip. We all look forward to it since we booked it. It was something to look forward to for all of us. The kids would have like a rough day at school. And then all of a sudden one would be like, yeah, but we're going on that trip though. <laughs> you know? Like, and all you got to do is, and in my experience as, as a young family, all you have to do is take them to a hotel anywhere and that'll do it. Seemingly, the, the, the highlight of our trip was the reading lights attached to the beds on our hotel room. They became like strobe lights in, in our hotel. But it was something to look forward to. Something to look forward to will change the game for you. Having something to look forward to, that living hope will change how you live. Sometimes we think that this is all that there is and we need things to look forward to. But in Christ. We're not, we don't have something to look forward to. We have everything to look forward to. It's just we forget it. We forget that in our human nature. We forget that in the world that we live in. We forget about heaven. We forget about heaven. Paradise is what Jesus called it. We forget about that's coming for those who are in Christ. So much so that we need something else. And that is what we have to be careful of. If you have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you've turned from your sin and repentance, eternal life and, and right relationship with God is yours. The presence of God is with you and with me. So be careful not to look forward to something more than what you have already. See, this is the warning that our, our Christian culture where we live must hear. During Christmas, children will... We'll look forward to the time. Let's be honest. This is the way it is within our nature. Our, our children look forward to the time. Everybody's, I've seen this. I mean, goodness, some of us do this as adults. We get five different gifts. They've all got your name on it. You open the fifth one, they're like, I hope there's a sixth. 
Like you'll look around the tree to see if there's one more. Somebody else opens a gift and you're like, well, he got one. Do I get one? Like that's, it, there's no contentment within our sinful nature. And this is why God says in his word, Paul to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. In order, godliness to be like God, you've got to know God to be like God. So to be like God and to be content with knowing God and being like God and living like God is itself great wealth, is what the Bible says. He was speaking to those who had a right and real relationship. Speaking to those who had their needs met. They had food, they had water, they had shelter, they had each other, and they had a right relationship with God Almighty. And what he was saying to them is to demand more within this life is ultimately going to work against you. It's ultimately going to work against what you hope will happen. And in fact, the scripture teaches that it will cause one to wander away from God if they seek more than what he is giving them. Rather than being discontented with the waiting and the fulfillment of salvation, the Bible just teaches us to live godly and be content, but with great expectation, with great expectation of what's to come. See, we're not waiting on the Savior to get here. We, we have salvation right now. We're waiting on the king to return. We're, we're, ready, we're waiting on our Lord and king to, to return. And, and with his return will be the fullness of salvation. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9-10. through 10. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Hey, somebody need to hear that this morning? It's not God's desire that you should perish and burn within his anger. God wants to save you. Yeah, but have you heard what I've done? It don't matter. I can find it in here. We've all done it or thought it together. So, so God, yes, he has full right to pour out his anger on us. But in his love for us, he spares us through the offering of his son. So hear that. Even if you're struggling this morning, last night was terrible this morning. You're thinking I shouldn't even be here. God, God should, should, should smite me. He should take me out. Hear the truth of his word. God chose to save us through the Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So the Bible says, encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Encourage each other how? With the truth that one day all this stuff we're having to endure down here will be no more. God will make everything right. We won't deal with the cravings we have any longer because we'll be satisfied in his presence. We won't hurt any longer. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering. We won't have any of that. And we'll have all these funerals, pandemic and all that kind of stuff. We'll be in the presence of God forever. We're waiting, yes, we're waiting and, and waiting on God and the God who makes promises, but the God who makes promises and always delivers. That's the God we're waiting on. This is called living hope. I want to, I want to close with this. Because this ought to impress us. Because this ought to impress us. 
When we come to church, if the gospel's not enough, we need to get to this altar and check our heart. If we come to church and we need a little more entertainment up here than what I'm giving you today, then we need to get to this altar because that's not enough. I need something else. The gospel should always knock our socks off. When we realize who we are, who God is, we deserve his anger, but he spared us through the blood of Jesus Christ, strike up the band and let's sing it. Like that's, that's, This should always impress us. I want to close with this, for real this time. My granddaddy gave me a case knife when I was a teenager. I love it. It's nice. I think it's nice. He gave it to me. He says it's nice. And it's like a bone, made out of bone. It's a case knife, I think. Anyway, it's in my office. I've got that one and a few others there. I'm not a knife collector, but my granddad gave them to me, and they're real special to me. So I keep them in my office. And one day, a, a friend of mine came by, and he was looking in the office, and he saw those knives. And, and he's kind of a connoisseur of knives or whatever. And he took it out, and, and he said, man, this knife right here is probably worth more than you think it is. I was like, really? He said, yeah. And he began to teach me about how if I looked at certain markings that were left on this knife, I could tell around the time when it was made what it's called and probably what it's worth. I was like, well, cool. So I did that. I, I, I looked it up just out of curiosity in what he said, and he was right. I mean, what I thought maybe it was worth to me is, was multiplied by what the worth is assigned by the creator, right? Like that's, that's even more than what I thought. Now, I have no thoughts of, of trying to sell this knife because it means a lot to me already just because my granddaddy gave it to me. But, you know, it holds even more value now that the worth of the knife has been fully explained to me. So I already held value. But once I understood how much value was in it, now it's worth even more. This is the message today. Don't lose the all of the arrival of Christ. Don't lose the awe. In fact, just stay after him so that your awe will continue to increase. Continue to seek the word of God and learn things like this that God's been working on this since the beginning of time. Through Abraham, through Israel, through David, all of this, God has been faithful through all of the roller coaster of sins for you and for me. So that when we perish from this earth, we will be right with God forever. Don't let that get old. Amen? And share it with somebody. Now that you know it, there are still people that need to hear it. That the answer that they've been waiting for to fill the void of their life has been here for a long time. The answer to salvation, reconciliation, the standard of life, the purpose of life has been for a while, and his name is Jesus, the Messiah. Let's stand to our feet. I want to invite you to this altar. You know, if, you're, if you're like me, this, this altar that just gives us an opportunity to admit on our knees how much we need God and how much our church needs God, how much our family needs God. We, we need to deal. Sometimes God is convicting us. Sometimes it's not of sin. Sometimes it's of mission of things that we need to do or some things that we've not done, and we just need to get on our knees before God. Y'all, this, this needs to continue to be a church where we don't mind getting on our knees full of faith before the Lord. And so we invite you, church, to come and pray at the altar, but at the same time, this may be that Sunday where it's all clicked in your mind and heart, 
and you know you need to take the next step of faith and you need to be right with God, you need to nail it down. Or maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you want to join the church. Maybe you have questions. We have pastors here at the front. We'll be here afterwards too, but why not go and make that public profession and know that everybody here is for you. And if they're not, we'll deal with them. (laughs) All right? Let's pray together. Lord, what an honor it is to serve in your church after hearing of all the things that you've done for us. All the ways that you've worked over the years to make this free gift of salvation available. Oh God, we are grateful today. Lord, as we begin to pray and respond, as we bow our heads and get on our knees, as we fill the altar, as we think about the next step to take, oh Lord, that we would move in faith. If there's one or many in here today that knows they need to take a next step. God, that they would move, that they would move, Lord, I pray. God, would you lead us through this time of invitation? May we take it serious. May we respond, Lord, how you've led us to. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar.